This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit SalemPresWS.org. That's SalemPresWS.org. We believe preaching is best when experience is part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Usually we meet Sunday evenings in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. We hope to return to that soon. And as you enjoy this podcast, we hope you'll come with us when we can gather in person. We'd like to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse 12. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, which is the one that is printed in the bulletin. So this is Romans 2.12 through the end of the chapter, 29. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts, either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. You who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and you boast about your special relationship with him. You know what he wants. You know what is right because you have been taught his law. You are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people who are lost in darkness. You think you can instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. For you are certain that God's law gives you complete knowledge and truth. Well then, if you teach others, why don't you teach yourself? You tell others not to steal, but do you steal? You say it is wrong to commit adultery, but do you commit adultery? You condemn idolatry, but do you use items stolen from pagan temples? You are so proud of knowing the law, but you dishonor God by breaking it. No wonder the scriptures say the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. The Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law but don't obey it. For... You are not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you have gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision 
is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so, um, I wonder, uh, especially those who are, who are kids or children, um, you know, I wonder if you've ever wondered, uh, like I did when I was when I was little, um, why there is this this voice uh, in your head, um, this little voice that uh, that it it chides you, it it, um, it makes you feel kind of bad when you do something wrong, and then on the other hand, uh, it will praise you, uh, it will make you feel good when you do something that is right, and. Um, you know, I, I don't. It's so common in our experience that I don't know if you've ever thought about how how odd that is. And when I was little, I always wondered um, how is this other person's voice, you know, planted in me that I can't really control. It's this thing that kind of goes off like an alarm almost. And I would wonder when I would look at my dog. Um, you know, does the dog have that voice? Because sometimes when when my dog would uh, would like take something off the table and eat it. The dog looked kind of sheepish, and I just thought, does Ginger have that voice, you know, telling her that she's done something wrong? And then I would look at other mammals, like a, a mouse or a squirrel, and I wondered, did they have that voice in their head? And, um, and so it was just a puzzle to me, like, what this thing is. And that's really um, a large part of what Paul is talking about in this passage, is that, that voice that uh, we call sometimes... Uh, conscience. And uh, Paul calls it in verse 15, God's law that is written on everyone's heart. And in this passage, he assumes that every human being, um, no matter who they are, has this conscience, this law, the, the law of God that is written on the heart. And there's two things that Paul says about this law um, that are very, very important. One is that you cannot live without the law. Um, that everyone has a law, and it's a good thing, and that if you're a Jew or a Gentile, Paul says, he doesn't want the Jews to feel superior to the Gentiles in the Church of Rome. So the Jewish Christians, he's saying that the non-Jewish Christians have the same law that you have, it's just written on their hearts. And then he would say to us who are Christians, you know, those people who are not Christians, who are maybe Muslim or Buddhist or maybe not even a believer at all in anything, they're an atheist or they don't know what they believe, uh, Paul would say, well, they also have that law written on their heart, so you can't look down on people um, thinking that you have this law that they don't have. And, and so we can't, um, we can't live without the law, but then on the other hand, Paul shows that we really can't live with it either. And that's the second part I want to talk about, because the problem with living with the law is that if you, if you start to do well, then you feel proud about it. But if you start to do poorly then we all know what happens. Then you start to feel this horrible guilt that's very, very hard to get rid of. It's very hard to get rid of those voices that speak to you. So first of all, it's this paradox. We can't live without it, and then we can't live with it. So I want to look at those two things. So first of all, uh, why can't we live without the law? Well, again, because Paul says it's basically etched in stone. It's the same idea of God etching the Ten Commandments on the stone's of the two tablets on Mount Sinai. This is, 
inside of us, like almost like stitched into our genetic code, like it's something in our DNA that we just can't get rid of. There's this voice that says, stop doing that, or you shouldn't do that, or you should be doing that, or why didn't you do that? Um, it's always either accusing us or approving of us. And what this doesn't mean, you have to be careful here, because it doesn't mean that everyone has the same exact standards. Obviously, if you look around, uh, the people who live around you do not have the same exact awareness of the law. Um, the voice gets very distorted in every human being and in every culture. There's no culture where we get it all right. Um, and I would say even in our own culture, you have people more on the right side, on the right, you know, more conservative. And I would say they mute certain things about the law. And the people who are more progressive on the left side, they might also mute or maybe they exaggerate things on either side. But I'm not saying everybody has the same exact law. In fact, in, in the course of one's life, um, I know like that middle school can really uh, distort certain aspects of the law that is written in your heart about purity. That's a big one, I think, that happens in middle school, or maybe about not being cruel. And then in high school, uh, the same thing happens with, you know, maybe with kindness. You start, to, that kind of gets eroded in you. And then when you go to college, a lot of times, a sense of respect for authority and adults and humility gets kind of worn away in those years. And then when you get to adulthood, oh, all that idealism that you have coming out of, uh, of school, whether you went to college or not, that idealism um, just gets worn down over the years. But um, Paul would say, and I think we all know, that nevertheless, after all of that, there always remains at the end of it this, this profound uh, sense that we have of some kind of moral experiences. And I have had those very much during this pandemic. I'm sure you have too. Um, I, I hope that your heart has been kind of softened by these public expressions of empathy and kindness that have been beautiful to watch. Uh, videos of people waving at workers who are going um, you know, into work, uh, healthcare professionals, um, really uh, can bring me to tears. These signs that are out on the street uh, that say, you know, keep going, don't give up. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Queen of England and what she said. It was so beautiful to the people of Britain. There are these um, Zoom video things um, where they sing this Baroka. There's one that I saw over Pittsburgh, of all cities. And then there's another one they sang over England. Um, there was uh, that famous um, tenor, Bo Bocelli. Andrea Bocelli was singing Amazing Grace like on the steps of the cathedral in Milan. So uh, even George W. Bush you know, had a, a pretty beautiful speech. So the, anyway, the, you have these feelings um, and that's, Paul would say, that's the law written on your heart. You can't live without that. It's a great thing. Um, I know that one thing that really moves me, and I think probably a lot of you, uh, is when you have these moments of connection with people and this unity that you feel across boundaries. Um, you know, maybe strangers in line at, at the supermarket or just neighbors that you don't normally talk to, people who are politically very different or religiously or ethnically different, kind of connecting at this time. Um, Paul would say, you know, we all have this rich interior moral life going on. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're religious or spiritual. He says in verse 26, if, if the Gentiles obey God's law, and that would be unbelievers in our you know, parlance, then won't God declare them to be his own people? So um, we have this uh, deep sense of, of 
right and wrong. And yet, uh, like I said earlier, a lot of times uh, you can get very cynical about virtue, especially when you get hurt. And especially when someone who is someone you look up to, a mentor, um, maybe a pastor, uh, when a parent or a lover or a spouse uh, betrays you or they burn you or you feel used by them, um, then you can be very cynical about the law. And so when I was 21, I think my trust in the goodness of of humanity uh, had really slowly evaporated, first a lot in high school, then in college. And I came to a point where I thought in my life, you know, all this stuff about right and wrong and virtue and being a good person, it's just an illusion. Uh, It's all just people who are in it for themselves. Nobody's actually any better than anybody else. And, And I came to think that conscience in your head is really just your parents' voice kind of projected onto, you know, God or something like that. Or maybe it's just the culture, the messages you've received in your life from the culture telling you what's right and wrong. But it's really all a social uh, constructed thing. You know, humans have made this thing up. It's not real. There's no real thing out there. Um, This beautiful law, I just stopped believing in that. Which I had, as a child, uh, loved. Um, I had loved the the beauty of, of the law. Uh, But then two things happened. One is that somebody, um, a friend of mine, a new friend of mine, pointed out, you know, Ben, although you say you don't believe in this law, why do you you argue about fairness all the time? And it's true that I've been very big on fairness ever since a child. And uh, this person pointed out, you know, you, you say things like, you know, why do the the girls on the third floor have such a great bathroom that's, you know, brand new. And, and, the, and the boys on the second floor of the house, living in the house, have this terrible, tiny, awful bathroom. And it's so unfair. And then um, I'll, I said, you know, it's so unfair that I got a B on that exam in Dr. Allen's class. And he got an A, and he didn't care about the material at all. And I love the material. And it's so unfair. And I would just go on and on about things that were not fair. And so she said, you know, maybe you should rethink this, uh, this cynicism you have about the law because you actually are holding the universe to a law and other people, you're holding them to a law all the time. That happened. Uh, and then the other thing that happened that was more important than that was um, I saw this movie. And it was, it's called The Mission. And um, I would really recommend that you at least watch this one scene, this movie called The Mission. It's, uh, the, it's about Robert De Niro. He is a... Um, a slave trader, and he is loved uh, and welcomed by these villagers who are the very ones that he had enslaved. He, he becomes a Christian. Uh, he's this violent, awful man, uh, murderer, uh, kidnapper, and then he is uh, loved by these villagers into their own life uh, in this village, and they give him a Bible and um, the first thing you see him reading, and this is the scene that got me, is um, I didn't even know where it was from. I said to the per- this person, I said, where is that from? And she was like, that's 1 Corinthians 13. I said, how could that be in the Bible? That's so beautiful. And it said, uh, De Niro read, love is patient and is kind and does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I've heard that was in the office too. Is that right? When they get when the two get married, um, they read that passage. It's a beautiful passage, but I had never heard it before. And meanwhile, as De Niro's reading that, and again, you can go to YouTube and just type in like the mission De Niro, First Corinthians thirteen, 
it has this montage of him like playing with children and fishing and farming and then swimming and laughing with the villagers. And uh, you see him, they're teaching him how to love. And then meanwhile, as that's all going on, um, they're playing this song, Gabriel's Oboe, which is uh, my phone, my ring, my ringtone on my phone. It's an incredible song. That uh, soundtrack has been uh, often rated the best soundtrack ever written um, by Ennio Morricone. But anyway, that song, Gabriel's Oboe, is playing in the background. And when I saw that scene, something about that combination just... And also Robert De Niro is often like this harsh guy. And it just really melted my heart. And my emotions broke open. And I realized uh, how much I really did love the law and human goodness... And maybe, you know, maybe you're like I was, where at one time in your life you possibly were committed to not being consumeristic or you were committed to going to the mission field or living in community or an intimate relationship with God and that was your vision for your life and then life got busy and uh, relationships got messy. You, You add all these responsibilities to your life and you became disillusioned. And now you're not really sure, you know, what you believe about these things. And I would just say this is a great time for, for a breakthrough, for a, a, new, uh, a new, like, re-engagement with the law. Because it's a beautiful thing. And we cannot live without it. And this time especially, you know, that fearlessness that I, I had when I first became a Christian, that fearlessness of, of death. I'm not going to be afraid of death. I'm not going to be afraid of my of losing my own comfort and security. This is a time for that, especially. And that desire I, I had, I am going to reach out. I'm not going to turn in. I'm going to love people. I'm not going to judge people. Um, you know, that, this is a great time for, for reaching out, like Austin said, to lonely, uh, hurting uh, people who are isolated. And there's, there's no feeling like the feeling of your conscience, you know, applauding you. Uh, it's just built in there where I think it's the most underrated aspect of, of mental health and happiness is just the aftertaste of virtue. Hmm. There's just nothing like that. If you're depressed, there's probably nothing better you can do than do something kind for someone. It's like the uh, a great bouquet of wine um, that you just don't want to eat anything after you drink that because it's so delicious. And Paul says in verse 15, their own conscience and thoughts... Um, Tell them they're doing right. And our conscience is like this parent that we have um, that we want to please so much, or maybe a mentor or some kind of uh, spiritual leader that you have. Um, And it's that stab of joy when you hear them say, great job, I'm so proud of you. You, You're doing well. That is um, what the conscience is like when when we just light up, when you've done something really good, when you've, um, I don't know, if you've rescued an animal You've forgiven someone that really hurts you. You've said something nice to them. Volunteering at crisis control. Um, having a neighbor over um, in a socially distanced way. I, I was reading this article about these three ministries, um, and it just kind of moved me. One, uh, City Harvest in New York City. They pack food for people who've lost their jobs. Um, there's a bookstore in Australia, uh, Australia called Glee Books. And they are delivering books on bicycles to people who are quarantined, who can't get out and make any connections. And the the lady who runs the ministry said, books are a nice way of leaving quarantine without having to go anywhere. Mm. 
And then there's a place in Poland, uh, the Visible Hand, that brings uh, free coffee to overworked uh, medical workers. So this is why we can't live without the laws, because these things move us so much. And even if you try to pretend it's not real or um, you don't like the word, um, still, I, I, I would say that it is there and it is so important. It is a critical part of being human. So we can't live without it. But on the other hand, and this is the catch-22 uh, we can't live with it because if we keep it, um, it makes us proud. And if we don't keep it, it's even worse. We become horribly guilty. So verse 17, um, this is Paul writing to Jewish Christians who think that they um, are superior to the Gentiles. And he says, uh, you rely on God's law and boast about your special relationship with him. And that's the first tragedy of the law is um, right when you start um, to thrive and grow and uh, become more truly of a, a good person, that little, there's a voice that starts saying, you know, you're really improving. You're doing so well. You're becoming virtuous. And I think Paul knew about that um, himself from his own experience as a Pharisee. He knew that danger. And so in verse 19, he says, you have become convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for people lost in darkness. And it's so sad how by being good, slowly and almost imperceptibly, you become that dreaded know-it-all. You know, you become that person that you never wanted to be. Uh, the person in the Bible study with all the answers, who always uh, knows and corrects other people. Uh, you become a person who starts giving little mini lectures and you treat everyone around you like potential students in need of your wisdom. Paul says in verse 20, and again, I think this is autobiographical, you think you instruct the ignorant and teach children the ways of God. And you really start to love the sound of your own voice. And uh, it's very hard to see it. You need to ask someone else about it. Um, but then verse 20 is what's really scary. And you see a lot these days, this attitude in verse 20, where I saw this rally where these people from different political ends of the spectrum were just screaming at each other, insulting each other, because they were so certain that they had complete knowledge mm. and truth. You know, they, they were certain that God's law gave them complete knowledge and truth. And we talk about this in, in our church a lot, this cone of certainty where, you know, we like to say at the very top of the cone, there's some things you can be certain about, but not many at all. I mean, the gospel is pretty much the only thing I'm 100% sure of. But then down here, you know, most things we don't know. And Paul is saying that we often flip that and it becomes like this funnel of pride where generally we think most things we know for sure. Only a few things we don't know. And I would say that when people get mad at religion and say that, you know, religion destroys everything, it's because of this. It's because of this toxic idea that we know everything. And so if you are a religious person, and I think most of you probably are, then um, you've really got to ask people around you, do, do I always have to be right? Can I lose an argument? Do I always have to have the last word? Do I always have to have the answers? And that's the first reason that it's so hard to live with the law, because you become proud of knowing the law. The second one is even worse, uh, which is guilt, which Paul says, um, our consciences and thoughts accuse us. Maybe even as I read the passage, you were feeling guilty. Uh, because it says that God will one day judge the secret thoughts of our hearts. But, I mean, think about what gets you with guilt. Um, money is a big one. 
for a lot of people. Uh, if you make too much money, you, you feel guilty about it. You don't want to tell people how much you make. You kind of downplay that. Um, sex is a huge one, especially among Christians. Crossing boundaries and, um, you know, pornography, um, just lusting after someone. Adultery, of course. Prayer is really big. You know, I don't pray at all. Um, evangelism is another one. You have to be a Christian um, to know that one, I think, especially. That I'm not reaching out to enough people and sharing the gospel. Laziness, especially these days, I just feel so lazy. Or if you're just eating constantly or drinking too much. Another big one is children. If you have children, they just can make you feel so guilty. Not because anything they do, but just because you feel like a terrible parent. Or a, an older parent that you're not taking care of. Anyway, there are all these things. And the, the horror of it all is the more you see of the beauty of the law the more you feel the guilt and the more the guilt piles up. And so of all people, I think that Christians probably are the guiltiest feeling people in the world. And, um, and I would say that if you, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's going to be real hard not to feel guilty because it is like the Mount Everest of the law. And Jesus says, uh, not only can't you murder, you can't even be angry. Not only can't you commit adultery, you can't even lust. Um, you can't treat only people who like you with love. You have to treat enemies with love. Uh, you can't worry about tomorrow. You're supposed to turn the other cheek. You're supposed to give the cloak off your back to somebody who asks you all these things. And you just read that and you say, that is not me at all. I am not like that at all. And at some point in your life, you just realize how, again, going back to what I said earlier, you, you have fallen so far from your ideals about what you wanted to be. I'm not giving as much money away as I had hoped. I'm not living as dangerously as I had hoped. I'm not really that countercultural at all. I have a minivan. I've got a, a decently nice house. I'm incredibly normal. I'm a consumer. Um, what do you do at that point when you've come to that awareness, if you're feeling guilt? And one thing that people try to do is turn down the brightness on the, on the law and kind of mute the colors and soften the brilliance, dilute the beauty of the law, you know, lower the standards. And that's, of course, a terrible idea. You don't want to do that. So what do you do? Um, and this is the last thing I'll say. It's just the, this is the gospel. What you do is you turn up the law. You see how incredibly beautiful it is. And at the same time, you turn up the grace. And if you don't have the grace... You'll never, ever to be able to live in a right, right relationship with the law because it will just destroy you. Mm-hmm. And the only way you can live without guilt and pursue righteousness and keep the law as beautiful as she is, uh, is, is verse 29. A true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And you've got to tell yourself, my heart is right with God. I don't feel right. I've done all these terrible things. I've neglected all these things. But my heart is actually, in fact, right with God. And you can't just tell yourself that because guilt is like a monster that will just chew up your own little voice. Um, You have to have the Holy Spirit say that deep inside of you where the Spirit says, you're all right. Your heart's right. I know you've done all these terrible things, but just keep fighting. Keep going. It's a change of heart, verse 29, produced by the Spirit. And so this is the gospel. Um, Again, one more week not celebrating the Lord's Supper is so painful and agonizing. And we'll talk about that after if you want to join us in the Q&A. But the gospel says, look, you have not kept the law and you've got to come to terms with that. 
And yet, at the same time that you're not keeping the law, you are completely and utterly loved. You could not be more loved. You could not be more right with God, no matter what you did to keep the law. And you've got to keep those two things together in order to try to live a life of any kind of morality. So let me pray for us. God, help us not to minimize the law and also not to live in pride and in guilt, but to keep trying to do uh, what is right and to follow you and to follow our conscience, obey our conscience, and, uh, and yet um, always knowing that the only thing that makes us right with God is, is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. We pray in his name.